Hey everybody, this is Perch, and uh, I'm here with Joe. Joe, how are you doing? I'm all right, Perch. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, we have the great privilege to be joined by Eric Luke today. How, how are you doing, Eric? I'm very well. Thanks for asking. Howdy, folks. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we're, we've been very excited to talk to you. There's a bunch of, of cool things that we get to talk about today with you and, and kind of your work in comics and in TV and, and everything else. But uh, I, I mean, I, I want to kick it right off. Like, how did it feel to adapt the, uh, the, uh, the you know, the Demi Moore Patrick Swayze movie for Dark Horse with Ghost? <laughs> yeah, that, 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 yeah, that, that was a hard one. You know, how do you translate that scene with the pottery into comics? I, I yeah. yeah, it was real tough. I, uh, I bring up. I, I remember uh, they they had put out the shared universe. We definitely want to talk to you about Ghost, and um, it's one of the, the the a lot of people really love that book, and of course the art was gorgeous on it and and everything. And um, it was one of the few times when I had somebody come back with the book upset though and go, "This is nothing like the movie." And like, <laughs> well, yeah, I, it, was, it, uh, it was a love book, but I always stand out in my mind because you're trying to keep a straight face and you're like, well, you, you, you clearly got the wrong idea somewhere. But it was at, actually later they were. OK, so Dark Horse had a deal with Universal where they were turning their their, um, mm -hmm. you know, what do they do? Mystery Men and I think Time Cop and, yes, you know, all that were being turned into movies. They said, well, you know, let's try Ghost. And I said, well, right away, the title is going to be a problem. So yeah. it, it came back to bite me. <laughs> yeah, but I, I feel like Dark Horse has been uh, trying to pump out more and more stuff for, like, Netflix. This seems like the kind of thing that, oh, would, yeah. that would work really well in their um, trying to get more and more stuff out there. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about it because this book um, at the time, and, and let me make sure if I got this right. So, so Dark Horse decided that they really wanted to kind of play in the shared superhero space. They had a lot of licensed content, and they they really wanted to kind of do this. and And they put some really top talent yourself and, and others on these books. How did it come about? Because you you did the was it true? You did the entire run of Ghost. That first uh, I did the first three years of it, and they stopped that run. And then shortly, or not shortly, but it came back later with a different concept and a different, I, I think the basic concept was the same, but there were there was a whole different supporting cast and a different thrust to the whole field. So they were definitely trying a new direction at the, you know, that initial run had uh, sort of, you know, got to mm -hmm. its natural conclusion. It went, um, uh, it went three years, right? Yes, right. It was like 36 yeah. issues. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, that was, it was an exciting time. I'd never written for comics before. Um, it had only been screenplays and uh, I think some animation scripts, but they said, here's what we're doing. You know, they'd never, they hadn't done superheroes up till that point, except for like dark versions that were comments on existing superheroes. So they wanted to do their own and started, you know, just start a, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby sort of shared universe, uh, which everybody was nostalgic for and wanted to do it, you know, do it their way. So that they called all the writers and a lot of the artists into a roundtable discussion up in um, Milwaukee uh, mm -hmm. and, you know, just sort of hammered it out. And all they had for Ghost was the one sentence that she's dead and she's looking for the person who killed her. And aside from that, just, you know, take it in any direction. Yeah. Um, there was, uh, 
for a while there, or actually it was right around the time where there were these um, bad girls in comic books and right. people were really exploring, you know, girls with guns and girls who could beat up any guy and, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was really aware of not just, just playing to those tropes, but uh, I tried to narrate from her interior monologue as much as possible so I could get into, in fact, I got into the point where a reader was uh, <laughs> very angry saying, this is a woman masquerading. Eric Luke is actually an angry woman masquerading as a man writing this comic book to take it out on, um, on all men everywhere. <laughs> and uh, I thought, yes, I've succeeded in, I've, I've, I know what that character is like. Anyway, oh, charming, uh, charming nineties outrage. That's, that's great. Yeah, 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 and there wasn't um, a huge, uh, there wasn't a huge online presence of angry uh, male uh, energy out there yet. So yeah, yeah. well, it's uh, the forefathers of, of current Twitter outrage. That's uh, yeah, it's exactly. nice that some things never change. It's, it's all <laughs> yes. Um, how did even you, you end up comics for? How'd they find you? How did you? Uh, how did how did you how did how did you get this gig? So I was, I'd written Explorers and I had, uh, as part of that shoot, Joe Dante had said, I, you know, I'd said to him, I want to apprentice uh, to you, to this whole thing. I want this to be film school. And he said, absolutely. And we had a great friendship and he invited me into every meeting and even up to ILM, um, to, uh, just sit in on the whole post-production and, and effects so Dark Horse had a deal with ILM to do the Star Wars comic books um, or with Lucasfilm and, and all those people were hanging out at ILM. And so I made some connections and Mike Richardson and Randy Stradley said, you know, if you ever want to write comic books, we're out here. And I'd been reading comic books since I was a kid and thought, yep, yep, <laughs> I want to do that. So that was my foot in the door. They gave me a special to write just to see if I could you know, if I knew the, the, uh, the, the, the genre mm-hmm. and it was a success. So I was on board. Nice. Yeah. Well, now that you said that, I, I got to know what, what were the comics you liked growing up? Uh, I was a DC kid, you know, like the first comic book I remember getting off the, the shelf at the, uh, there weren't comic book stores back then. You had to go to the Seven Eleven or the, or, or, you know, drugstore. And it was Batman, Superman, um, you know, it was, it wasn't even that, um, you know, the Spider-Man angsty teenager stuff wasn't even, I mean, it was out there, but I really just got to know those, you know, more two dimensional superhero versions yeah. of the silver age. Um, so then, you know, Stanley and Jack Kirby blew my mind with silver surfer and all of that stuff. And I sort of grew up with them and seeing the possibilities of what, uh, damaged or darker characters could do not that they were that dark and then stayed with it all the way up till dark Knight and watchmen and uh, again got my mind blown and thought oh this is legit now this is uh i get it nice it feels like a lot we've heard uh, it that that silver surfer introduction seemed to catch a lot of people like more than like that was the moment where um, I mean, obviously Lee and Kirby have been doing a lot, but that, that, that always plays on people's imaginations that, uh, that yep. got into comics. It's, uh, yeah. well, you, you couldn't quite put into words, you know, the, the visuals were so, uh, uh, you know, mind boggling. 
Yeah. But as a kid, you really had to ask, wait, what's going on here? Because it had all been representational up to that point. And I'm uh, pretty much, uh, I guess, um, Dr. Strange had some, you right. know, and Jim, Jim Stranko was going off into whatever, you know, haze his mind was in. Yes. But it, yes. <laughs> um, and anyway, um, yeah, it started there. And then when DC brought Kirby over for um, Fourth World and, and New Gods and Forever People, um, that again, I kind of rediscovered him as a, like a visionary and saw it. This is, yeah, this is going on beyond. Oh, and, and Neil Adams stuff. Whenever, I remember whenever yeah. he was uh, doing something, I just pick it up no matter what it was. Um, yeah. I think there was an Avengers where, um, is it Ant-Man shrinks down and goes inside the vision? Yes. Yeah. Like, that, yeah. <laughs> during the Kree Skrull War, yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was really cinematic, really great stuff. Yeah, that that was gorgeous, yeah. Do you think, um, and it's uh, not to kind of jump ahead, but do you think that uh, we hear a lot of, of writers who are really inspired by, as you just described, a lot of very visual storytelling. Was the appeal as a kid like, uh, I'm seeing these amazing visuals. I would love to write a story around that. Or, or it, it's, I, we've just talked to a number of writers, really great, great writers like yourself who, who were inspired, you know, and they, their inspiration really draws from the art more than the story in some case. They always mention the art. Yeah. And I can go to hand in hand, but I'm just curious. That's that's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, the the it's really it really was um initially visual and I couldn't draw. I really tried to draw, but I it just didn't I have it in my, you know, in my in my bones. Yeah. Um and looking back on it, you know, the word balloons were always secondary to turning that page and seeing yeah the panels or the splash page or whatever it was that just knocked, knocked you out. And then you went, okay, I got to find out what's going on here. And I still know some people who, who don't know how to read comic books. You know, it's yep. sort of overwhelming and they don't get the, the pattern of how your eye moves across the page, all, all that stuff. But that was kind of instinctual. And so I never really thought I could be a part of, um, of, of creating comic books. Because I had this idea in my head that it was all, you know, really with uh, uh, the artist. So given the chance to actually write. And then, of course, the writers like like Alan Moore and, and Frank Miller came out and the writing was just as strong, if not, if not stronger. Oh, for sure. Um, I, I, was, I always thought on, on Watchmen, he was trying to constrain the art with his nine panel pages and say, OK, I'm going to let a part of your brain relax because you can predict what the next page pretty much is going to look like. Yes. I want you to concentrate on the, on, on the writing, on the yeah. narrative. Oh, I, I absolutely agree. I, I think that was all part of the plan of how that book came together and a lot of what captured people's imaginations. I just, uh, I, it, it, I find it interesting that, um, you know, writers see something like Kirby and I, I, maybe some part of the brain goes to, I, I, I want to create the story to match the imagination of what I'm seeing on this page, or I want to help shape. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, it's a fun play. Anyway, I'm sorry. For yeah, off that tangent. Um, but uh, it, you're, you're doing screenplays, you're working for TV and we definitely want to talk to you about some of that, but how, when you start writing for comics, you mentioned they give you this, uh, this kind of tryout, this uh, one shot kind of story. How, how was it? Uh, I mean, 
lots of comic writers today are talking about one day getting into TV. You're, you're going kind of the opposite direction. You're going from yeah. TV to doing some things into comics. Was it hard? Did you did you struggle with that shift? Well, so I've always thought of screenplays as blueprints for other people. You know, yeah. you, what you're really trying to do is get somebody else to see the movie and get excited about it the way the way you are. So you're writing in descriptions that will grab the reader yep. and make the reader see in their see the movie in their head. Um, and in that way, it's like, like I said, it's, it's a blueprint for the fine, fine, for the finished work. So approaching comic books, it, that's kind of the same structure. You are providing a blueprint for the finished work. So it's, you're still a couple of steps removed. And for writing screenplays, you're a lot of steps removed, you know, because you have to get through executives to say, yeah, this is worth spending money on. And then it goes to, right, the director, the art department, the, everybody has, has, and then the editor. So you're like 10 steps, to, you know, from the initial writing to what gets connect, what an audience connects with. Yeah. Um, the comic book writing, you're fewer, there are fewer steps between you. Um, I, I, I always, everybody always just gave me complete freedom, which was, there was um, Paul Kupperberg on, on Wonder Woman was great and basically said, what it, whatever you want to do, I, you know, you're doing great. Just keep doing that. Um, and same at Dark Horse. They just gave me the one sentence description. And, you know, part of that is on me to keep track of continuity and make sure the character is true to like Wonder Woman in particular, there's a tradition and there's a huge fan base and you have to, you know, you're, you're not Alan Moore. You're not tearing right. down the icon. You, people love her. So you have to respect that. Yeah. Um, and with ghost, you were inventing her. So you had to, you know, make, uh, make her as open and identifiable as possible so that, you know, people do want to care about her and do want to read, keep reading about her. Yeah, I think Ghost was one of the titles in the shared universe that seemed to, um, I don't want to say go over, but it, it it captured people very quickly. There are a number of titles there, but Ghost felt like the one that um, had longevity to it. I, I just, um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's, a, it seems more mem remembered, yeah. It, it, it's a really strong concept. You can say the concept in one word, in one yeah. sentence, and so people get it right away. And Plus the Adam Hughes visuals were enough to make them stop and say, Hey, it's Adam Hughes. Let me know. Oh, oh yeah. And then, and then Matt Haley was uh, the guy I worked with on the, uh, for at least the first year on the interiors. Uh, and he was, uh, I've, I've been in touch with him over the years too. He was great to work with. Um, I, I wanted to say too about comic book writing that I had seen a script for Watchmen, one of the Alan Moore scripts. And in writing it, he, it was all caps. It was run on sentences. It was just pouring out of his head. It was really dynamic to read. But um, Dave Gibbons had to go through and highlight what was actual vis visual description that he could work off of <laughs> because the whole thing was stream of consciousness up to a point. Yeah. Um, so I thought, okay, he's trying to communicate with the artist by being as much of a, having as much of the creative impulse on the page as possible. 
So I tried to hold on to some of that, um, you know, give, give, give emotional impressions for the artwork, not just foreground background description. The, uh, the series wound up, you, you worked, you worked with quite a large number of artists through the course of it. I mean, Adam Hughes launched the book and then I think did a lot of the covers or at least the initial covers, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But I was just looking, we're kind of reminding myself of, uh, you, you wound up working with John Cassidy and Ivan Rice and Terry Dodson and like HM Baker. There's like a lot of people on here that are, you know, have gone on to be just major, uh, forces in comics. Uh, yeah. So it's, it was actually quite, I, I, I had forgotten the amount of talent that was on this book for basically three years or so. Uh, although one thing that kept, um, there, was, there wasn't continuity in the art. And yeah. people were, um, I think, trying to latch onto it, but the, the shifting art styles were, um, were, were a problem at one point. I, I would think so. I mean, it's it's great art. You you go from uh, J- uh, Doug Brathwaite to Ivan Rice um, to John Cassidy a few issues later. That's going to be a pretty big jump of styles. Um, yes, and uh, it, I, I imagine that would be a, an, an issue. But it's 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 odd to me just seeing seeing such talent um, in a relatively short period of all over the place. That was uh, yeah, that was quite remarkable, actually. It was at, at one point they were giving work to some artists, I think in Sarajevo. Oh, wow. And uh, I, there was a language problem in artwork would come back and it had not been translated well. And so I don't think I had to rewrite. But, you know, that was how disjointed. I, I didn't have a, a direct connection with, with any one artist. Um, <laughs> The, the one, there were a couple that I re- that really stand out. Um, yeah. the, the Dr. October um, issues mm-hmm. were, were really fun to write. Um, she, uh, I, I had her narrate and her language is not, um, not, not uh, it's all fractured. So she's speaking in impressions and in odd English. Okay, so... Scott Benefiel on uh, Dr. October and I had a real connection and he, he had these nightmarish images that completely matched her disjointed narration um, and sort of uh, surreal, you know, she, she didn't have a good grasp on reality Mm -hmm. and Scott really captured that. And we're, we're still uh, good friends uh, even after the, even after, you know, 20 years or plus. Yeah. He's great. uh, and uh, you know, you, we we mentioned you you done uh, you worked on some animation uh, stuff, and I, I'd I'd love to talk a little bit about that because you know that's one of those things where it's like I was a fan of your work before I knew who you were because I I <laughs> grew up and not to not to make anyone feel old, I apologize, but I I grew up you know watching you know gargoyles and you know uh, tales of the crypt keeper. And, yeah. um, you know, so what was it like working on, uh, on those shows uh, as a writer of some of the episodes? So, um, Gargoyles was Disney's big push to, um, have a dark animation show, uh, cause the Warner brothers, Batman animation had been really great, really striking. And I always remember one of the, uh, you know, a piece of artwork they were trying to sell it shows a dis a, a kid with a, um, Mickey Mouse balloon looking up and there's the shadow of the gargoyle over him. And he's like, you know, scared, scared yeah. to death. 
which Disney that had never been their image before. Um, so they wanted their Batman and here's what they came up with. So that concept was really set. And when I started working with them, they needed that four part origin uh, yeah. uh, arc. And that was, that was my contribution was um, bringing that to life. But they were very clear about what they wanted, and it was it wasn't like a checklist, but all of that stuff needed to be in there. Yeah. Um, so I, it was I, I I did lots of development work um, for Disney, and uh, after I left Paramount on Explorers, I followed um, Jeffrey Katzenberg and Michael Eisner over to Disney and was on uh, staff there for a while. So. I was sort of doing script doctoring there. Mm -hmm. And when I moved to Gargoyles, it was very um, similar. It, it was really fleshing out what they, that they had a very clear vision when I walked in. Um, so if I brought some of myself to that, that's, that's good to know. Uh, but I, they were happy with it anyway. It, it did really well. I mean, it was uh, it was a show. It did it did accomplish to some extent what Disney was trying to do was to kind of get them back on the map for kids' animations as something that's kind of pushing the boundaries a little bit um, more edgy. And uh, I don't know if that's edgy's. It's hard to yeah, edgy is not the right word. It sounds much more weighty, I think, than uh, than what was going on. But I like that that darker kind of universe. Yeah, um, and edgy edgy means something completely different these days. The edge yeah. is so much farther beyond yes. what we were trying to be edgy with back then. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, a much, much sharper edge, I guess. That's <laughs> yes. the right way to put it. Um, how, so how was it you're writing? I mean, what, what was the boundary like? You're, you're writing a kid show, but they're telling you how to put, I mean, like, that's got to be kind of a complicated thing to, to try and work out of, of how far you push and where you push, like where, how do you identify where the boundaries are? Well, back when I was, um, when I was writing for them, there's a very clear set. Once you enter um, kids animation, um, I had a show called Cyber Nine, uh, which I wrote and executive produced and, and was part of the creators over at Fox. And the rules were, and of course, that was Saturday morning. So you could not show contact. If So if two, one character is hitting another one, that had, that had to happen off screen. Um, oh, there were, oh. yeah, yeah. There could not be a replica, replicable weapon. Mm. It, it had to be, uh, uh, outsized. So it was okay for somebody to have a huge ray gun, but not a ray gun that was small enough to be a handgun. Um, that might all be different now. I haven't done that in a while, but yeah. it, it was really specific. And then there could not be more screen time for the vehicle or the toy than there were for the characters. Uh, because if, if they didn't have that restriction, then entire half hour shows would be like half hour commercials. Yeah. So this was a restriction saying, no, you have to concentrate on character and engage kids on a different level than just, you know, forcing these plastic things down there not be a complete commercial for uh yeah i'd heard once i i don't know if you could confirm this or if it's true or kind of urban legend but that there was something about you couldn't you couldn't have the show go into commercial and then write into an ad for the toy you you had to you had to almost injure scene in a way that wasn't going to just bleed into a commercial for the toy yes yes 
No, you had to be really clear when you were selling something or when you were telling a story. Yeah. Um, and we got story notes for, for that too. You know, things I wasn't even aware of walking in, but that was a real roller coaster. <laughs> how, how many, like, I, was it just tons of revisions? You're, you're putting this out and you're getting these notes and you're going back and forth. Like, how long did this whole process take? Uh, with animation, everything is moving so incredibly fast that there's only time for so many notes before it has to go to the next, you know, to storyboarding and, and the next step. So that was one limitation. But aside from that, there were rooms full of executives sitting around tables. Yeah. Giving notes. Um, <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> that was a fascinating time. I, you, um, and then you did uh, Tales from the Crypt Keeper, uh, which had to have been, well, actually that was before Gargoyles, right? Or Yeah. God, I can't remember now. Yeah. It, 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 yeah, it may have been. Um, that was up in uh, the, the offices for that were up in Canada. So I would get, it was all long distance, uh, you know, sending the paragraph uh, about what they wanted to be the show. I'd flesh it out into the beats, send that up. And they'd say, like this, you don't like this. Okay, you're good to go. And then I'd do a script based on that. So ag again, I was handed the, the, the kernel of the idea. Mm -hmm. And if I was able to bring something to it, you know, some humor or something that I felt, okay, there's enough of me in there, then that was, you know, that got to be rewarding. What, what kind of, I, I know you were just telling us the restrictions on, on the other show, but for, you know, Tales for the Crypt Keeper, I'm sure like a horror cartoon must have had some really bizarre kind of, you know, you, you have to scare the kids a little bit, but not really. And you have to, you know, yeah. that, what kind of restrictions were on that? Oh, God, if I remember correctly, I don't think the dead could return. No, the dead had to be able to return to life. But it was something odd like that. Like, <laughs> don't make don't let them question some of the basic, uh, you know, uh, things that we know about about the way the world works or the universe works. Um, yeah, there was some real dancing around to say exactly what the scary thing was. I mean, it wasn't the Scooby-Doo thing where somebody pulls off a mask and, you know, it's the old man guarding his farm or something. But um, it, it, you know, by the end, there was uh, always had to be the feeling of it, it's okay, kids. You know, it's, uh, it, it's, you know, it's not scary. It's not that scary. Um you couldn't leave let the kids kind of wander off on their own with this horror still hanging out there. You had to resolve that's, it. Well, that's it. That's it. It couldn't be that twilight zone thing of, of giving you the creeps and then you had to sort of walk away thinking about it. Yeah. It all had to be tied up <laughs> by the end. Put it all back in the box. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I do love that note though, that, that kind of like vague note, like don't make children question the greater known universe. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, you know, then it gets some upset parents if they come in asking questions about the dead coming back to life. So, <laughs> and that, that was an odd thing about TV network TV was that they didn't want to lose viewers, which is very different from now saying we actually want cutting edge stuff that will attract viewers. So we want to be the weirdest show on TV, the, you know, the most violent show on TV, what, whatever yeah. the most romantic show, you know, and back then it was be the, uh, the stay on an even keel, be the blandest show that you can. So people don't turn it off. 
which is really different than saying, oh, I have a million things that I could be watching, but I've heard this one is really exciting. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's better now. Kind of keep the audience more than grow the audience, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, there's less competition, I guess. That makes sense. Um, yeah. But uh, I, so it, kind of bouncing back and forth, then when you do comics, um, how you, were you kind of, you were left to your own devices? I mean, I, mean, I imagine there was a lot less notes that you'd have to deal with. Yes, that's true. Um, and But now that we're talking about the other thing, I remember with Ghost thinking, I want to push this as far as like, I want to attract readership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because there were a lot of comic books, you know, it, it was, there was a collector's uh, market that was really taking off with variant covers and, you know, all yeah. of that. Well, and, thank goodness um, it's much different today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, I'll tell you what happened. I, my entire comic book collection, which I had in Mylar bags and I had it in storage I got a call from the storage place one day and said, um, Mr. Luke, your, your space has been broken into and uh, they've taken some stuff. And I went over that. All the comic books were gone. Somebody had backed up a truck. I mean, that w- it was not a small comic book collection. Because oh, when I was working for DC and for Dark Horse, they would send me every issue of every comic book that was being published. So I'd be aware of continuity that, you know, what other characters were going through. Oh, man. And yeah. Um, and so I called up my insurance company and I said, um, okay, time has come to evaluate, evaluate my, cause I, I had never put a value on it and I went through, you know, the titles and numbers and all of the value had gone way, way, way down. And I said, what's, what's going on here? And the insurance guy said, uh, this is right around the time when everybody who put them in Mylar bags back then has now said, okay, it's time to cash in. And there's a glut and everything has just gone back down to, you know, what it was before. So that's, that's where all my comic book collecting got me. (laughs) I, I, I would have been tempted to to try and get to local shops around the area and figure out who just sold a big, (laughs) a big run from your set, your stuff. I was thinking about that, but, but also I kind of felt a weight lift off you know, like yeah. I had been carrying that around from house to house and from storage unit, you know, and I, I'd always thought, well, how am I going to yeah, deal with all this? So I got a lump sum, not for as much as I'd hoped. I've had the, I've, I've talked to many, uh, many people. I know one guy, uh, he had a, like a tree fall in his house and then it started a fire and it burned the house down. Oh and my God. Like, uh, he's like, Oh, it's terrible. You lost all this stuff. It's like, ah, but like you said, it's like the, the weight's off. I got a check and now I start free again. And it was, it was, it was interesting to hear that perspective, but yeah. Um, cool. So, so with, so with ghost, so you're, you're, so you, you did, I can, I've got to imagine you did, did you have people from dark horse writing you notes saying things like, Hey, we're trying to connect this universe more. Can you shuffle things around or was it just on you? No, it no, it was really nice. They really, they really just gave me the, the freedom. Uh, again, I was starting from square one with the character. Yeah. So all the supporting cast, all the issues, all of the, the villains I was setting up, that, those were all being invented for the first time. And it, even crossovers, you know, when they, they never said, we need this to cross over here. Or I think maybe there was one event that needed to be referenced, but it wasn't, 
you know, something that affected the continuity mm. in a big way. Um, but they gave me a lot of freedom. Um, when I pushed it towards a darker, more sort of psychosexual, uh, uh, you know, uh, space, um, they were fine with that. Nobody well, ever said, hey, pull that back. They just, there really one call from Randy Strandley said, are you okay? <laughs> oh no uh, yes well in, in this industry that's not the most i mean unreasonable question i guess um, yeah that's I true wish, I wish people would check in more often sometimes um yeah uh, is, uh, you had obviously you had a lot of fun with the book i mean you, you look back was this just uh, thinking of, of kind of doing your work in tv then going into doing this comic run it uh like uh, did it feel I don't know, liberating to feel like a yeah. real, yeah, a great place. to be. Yeah. 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 I mean, to be given that kind of trust and that kind of freedom was, was pretty amazing. Um, the only, the, the step beyond that was uh, when I started writing novels um, mm. after that, that the novels a direct conduit to the reader, you know, what you're putting on the page goes directly to, to the final product to, to, you know, to what they're creating in their head. Um, so I wrote this book called uh, Interference. Yes. It's about, it's about an audio book that's killing the people who, who are listening to it. And you realize that that's the book that you're listening to. Yes. So I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I did an audio book version of it that was on the bestseller list at Audible for a little bit. Yeah. Um, nice. So that was really rewarding. It was really a great experience, maybe even more than screenplay writing. Yeah, very nice. That that book got a lot of um, promotion up here, at least in the Pacific Northwest. I remember oh. that uh, uh, an audio book that kills you that you can listen to on audio books. And it was, it was, it was, it was, you know, you it gave you pause actually for checking out this book, uh, but it was a great concept. Yeah. And, and that was part of the concept initially writing it. I thought this, the, the end form of this is going to be an audio book. <laughs> and I'd been volunteering, doing lots of narration for Braille Institute. And so I had my chops as a, as a narrator and thought I can do this and put together, you know, put it together and send it to Audible. And it was a hit. Uh, that's cool. It's a, it's a good book. Uh, I, I remember I remember there was a decent amount. I think the stranger covered it a couple of places. Uh, the the media up here in Seattle covered it, and it was like it. The con everybody loved the concept. Just of that's know. great. I think this would be a few years after uh, the Ring and and movies like that. Some of those adaptations. Um, so I, it was just kind of the fun for books to kind of get its turn of something that you know yeah would be dangerous to read. It was is a. I'd I'd never seen that before, and really audiobooks themselves. Um. I was realizing as I was starting to get into them, because I really like them. Yeah. Um, it's that when was the last time that we had somebody read something to us, read a whole book? It was when we were kids yeah. and before we, we could really read for ourselves. So that idea of a parent's voice reading to you and you get lost in it and you totally are, are you know, captured by this thing. That's a really powerful medium. Oh, and yeah. so I thought, you know, why not take advantage of this and, you know, try and write something really scary. I know, I know. Excellent. I, I think um, so. So you, you write this book and then it's completely on you and, and that is completely freeing. You get to, to do these. Um, 
I'm curious, uh, you know, as Ghost um, kind of winds down or after ends, you then uh, you move to DC. And how was that? How was that? Was it a very different experience? How was Because you not only moved to DC, you moved to DC and, um, and Wonder Woman. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, uh, that was a call out of the blue. Paul Kupperberg called up and said, um, hey, I've been reading Ghost and we're looking for our next writer on Wonder Woman. Are you interested? And I said, absolutely. Um, I wasn't a huge Wonder Woman fan, but she, as part of the DC, you know, the top three, um, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, I'd always been you know, fascinated by her, sure. but I hadn't bought every issue or, or anything like that. Um, and so, again, they gave me one special to write as a tryout. They were real happy with that. And so I was on board. Um, Paul, again, gave me a lot of freedom. Um, I, I didn't get very many notes at all. And uh, really? that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because we have uh, we've mostly talked to people that um, John Byrne came in and, and took over from them. But you came on after John Byrne. Yeah. He uh, he sort of set everything back to zero before he left. And I yeah. thought, oh, thanks. I, I appreciate that. I don't have to deal with a lot of his continuity threads that were left hanging. Yeah. Um, so, uh, did you get to talk to him at all or, or it was just all through Paul and just Paul was like, here's, yeah. here's what it is. And yeah, it was all through Paul. And in fact, he was even saying, what, what are you thinking about what direction to take? So I've always gone through, you know, with superheroes, you need to understand again, what is the kernel? What is the, what's the heart of what they're all about? And I get Batman as a kid. I got Batman. It's revenge for the for the parents. And I get Superman just you know as an ideal and also sacrificing himself for this home that is is not his own. Will never be his own. Um, and uh, yet he and and he's given those uh, you know those Midwestern American values uh, through the farm, um, the farm work, and so he tries to apply those to this. To this world with wonder woman i didn't really get i didn't really get it she's made out of clay she's uh you know grown up not as a human but as something more than human you know as a um uh, uh a warrior and and raised in this sort of military environment and then given the mission to go out and bring peace to the world of man which is yeah. an impossible task. You you just know, just say that sentence. You know it's not gonna, <laughs> it's not gonna work, and yet she keeps striving and striving and striving. So I thought, okay, there's there's something to be just be working against impossible odds. Yeah. Um, you know, and you can play her as a fish out of water that she was raised this one way in this you know ancient mythic thing, and she has to deal with the modern world when she leaves the island. Um, so you can play those things. But I really tried to take it back to the myth. What's the basic myth uh, that she was born from? And how does that play out? What if, because it had sort of gotten lost for a while about yeah, what's, her, sure. what's her mission. And in some cases, the supporting cast got more interesting. She was kind of a cipher. Yeah. Um, so I really wanted her to question herself and her, uh, her, her quest on an in, you know, in man's world to, to stop war. 
But but you you did it in a way that I think a lot of other people who have before since haven't been able to do, which is you you handled that and, and her questioning things, but it wasn't about she's been lied to this whole time. Because it seems like everyone goes back to that well of, of I've been lied to or deceived instead of a, a a broader sort of, it's not about being lied to or not, it's about seeking the truth. And truth isn't always something hidden in lies. So mm -hmm. I, I yeah. thought that was interesting. Yeah, it, it's sort of like, she should deal with the prime question. Um, you know, even uh, no matter what the details are, it should always go to the heart of, I mean, if, if, there's, if there's a lie, then she's dealing with things that even we know are not true. Yeah, right. um, but if you go right to the heart of it, if she goes, how do you get people to stop war, to stop fighting? That's a really interesting, you know, yeah. uh, uh, concept and it's not the most popular one for a comic book character because you want combat you want right. batman you want you know him to bring vengeance to the you know to the these uh ca the cowardly lot but um yeah. you know um wonder woman's trying to stop the fight so right. yeah and yeah. and you worked that storyline in uh just a little bit before dan jurgens did a similar thing in thor about him hmm. coming, you know, bring Midgard uh, down, and then trying to sort of police the world and and all that. You 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 beat him to it by uh, a year or so, which was, <laughs> which was interesting. Beat him to it with, uh, and and that's Jurgen's run is is great as well. Sure. But it, it was I think a lot more nuance. I I love the I love the inherent contradiction that that you kind of touched on your run, and you just mentioned here of you're trained to fight, you're trained to be a warrior, you're trained to kill in some cases, and then your mission is to get people not to kill and not to fight. And then you're sent out into a world where it's completely foreign to you, and so, and so you're on no stable ground, and you're told to do, to, your mission is to do the opposite of kind of what you were trained to do. And, and with so many contradictions, what, what do you do? And I, I, thought you, I thought you handled that really, really well. It was one of the you. core takes on the character. Yeah. One, the one, you know, going back, it's been 20 years. And so I was going back and, and going through it. The one, <coughs> excuse me. Um, let's see. They chose this for um, a celebration of 75 years. Mm -hmm. It's a story where she, it's obviously the Middle East, but it's called, you know, it's the line in the sand and there are people fighting over the land itself. And she is going to go in there and try and stop this war and she can't and they're you know they're all they wind up shooting at her because she's wearing red white and blue and yeah and all that and so she finally takes that lasso of truth and puts it to good use and thinks well if they know the truth about each other then they, how can they fight each other and so these two leaders that she's grabbed off of the battlefield she you know puts the lasso ties them each to one end and they know each other's feelings and they know you know, uh, each other's pain and the last page it's, they're shaking hands and there's going to be a treaty. And then they're blown up by their followers who say that they're traitors and tra all traitors must die. Yeah. And it, uh, you know, it ends there. So how do you do that? You know, I, uh, no, yeah. I, 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 that's, that's one of the more powerful story, let alone wonder woman stories. It's one of the more powerful stories that's come out. 
Um, I love, I, I love, I love and despise that ending. I mean, (laughs) I I, I love the ending. I I was realizing there's no believable ending that you can write. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, how do you do it? And I realized, uh, she can't do it. Maybe we can do it in the real world with all, with everybody. I, you know, God knows, but as a comic book character, she can't go in and do that. Yeah. one one of the other early things you did in your run was uh, you, you you kind of revolutionized the invisible jet and and did a, a lot of uh, stuff with that with the Wonder Dome and how how that come about. So the jet was always a problem. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the 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 30s were this comic books were so fantastical. You know, Superman had the the city in the bottle and mm-hmm. all of this sort of wonderful stuff. And she had an invisible plane and it's, you know, uh, back then planes were cool just to have a plane itself was, you know, relatively was new enough. So kids were excited just by the concept of, you know, an an invisible one. I mean, I, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but you have to deal with it. So uh, (laughs) my mind just went off and, you know, took that to not a logical conclusion, but just try to expand it into something and also she had never had a bat cave or fortress of solitude yeah so i thought yeah give her something and it couldn't be rooted in any one particular place of earth because the earth is her 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 battle her her domain for peace so i had it float floating above it and then then i gave it a personality too because it was thinking floating above the city kind of like midgard was in uh yeah, in Jurgen's yeah. run but uh <laughs> you know uh just just the that level of creativity with something like that i i think is something that a, a lot of people uh like seeing in comics i think that's part of uh what got uh, donny cates really popular recently has been sort of his like kind of doing similar kind of things where you're taking uh, an idea of something and really uh, stretching it to the limits of the imagination. But uh, so, so you're working on Wonder Woman with um, what is it? A Yannick. I'm going to butcher his last name. Uh, Paquette. Paquette. Yeah. And, yeah. and he's someone who's still closely associated with Wonder Woman. He's doing the earth one Wonder Woman stories with uh, Grant Morrison, uh, who's yeah. also known for stretching the limits of, of the imagination. Um, yeah. you, you would think, you know, um, since, since Yannick has that high profile of being known as a Wonder Woman artist, that this would be a great time with the 80th hmm. anniversary of Wonder Woman for, for them to, to roll out, uh, a collection, uh, of your run. Uh, you, you know, I'm sure even if they highlight Yannick over you, I'm sure you wouldn't mind as long as it was out. Not at all. Yeah. Oh no. Y- Yannick was just starting out. Uh, when I was first and, and, you know, talk about writing to someone in the script and, uh, getting to know the artist and, you know, sending personal notes to him, you know, like, uh, I'm going to describe this in terms of that conversation we had, you know, um, he, boy, his career is, is amazing. It's just stellar. So yeah, we're still, we're still friends. Um, and after all this time. 
but yeah, boy, a collection would be fantastic. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> weird because the burn run is collected, and then Phil Jimenez's run is collected. And yeah. and uh, Rich and I have talked about this a lot. Uh, we get pushback sometimes because people act like, "What are you talking about? Everything's collected and easily accessible," and it's not. No, but not, people not at all. Yeah. people don't know that because they just assume whatever's out there is what's out there. Yeah, you know. Well, or yeah. I think they're, you know, you, you can find all of your work uh, easily accessible on various uh, piracy sites, but not, <laughs> not <Yeah. laughs> PC or collected. So it's like it's, you, you get your hands on it, but not, not in a way that is making the company money. And, and, uh, and, and I think with the Wonder Woman films and, and your run is I'm, I'm kind of thinking back on it. I'm trying to, I'm looking at the, the uh, biography here the, of the, the work that you did, like it, it fits very well uh, with the the films that have come out. I mean, different different topics, but the core of the character. Yeah, and your, your yeah. run is actually more true to a core of the character than other runs around it. Yeah, um, I tried to take it back to basics, and of yeah. course, they had to do that for for the first film. Mm -hmm. I mean, in everybody's head was Linda Carter and you know Wonder Woman as either this sort of kitschy, you know, uh, pop culture but not a character that you would take seriously. Yeah. So they really had to cast it right. They had to get the tone right. There had to be enough humor in it to, you know, and, and it had to be epic. Mm -hmm. And it also involved Ares and, and the mythology. Right. Yeah. So, God, I thought that first film was great. I mean, I was, Absolutely. I was yeah. like, like every once in, a while, once in a while, I'll be watching a film and I'll just tear up because they've done something so well, you know, yeah, yeah. no matter what kind of scene, right? No, I and, have that feeling. The visuals, the music, the story, everything kind of comes together and it just, it's, it's, it's perfect craft at that moment. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And knowing how many hurdles you have to get over in order to, uh, to get to that moment and here somebody did it. I had several of those moments in the first Wonder Woman. I thought, God, they got that right. Yeah. So my hat's yeah. off. No, I, I think uh, like uh, uh, Joe and I have talked about when we talked to uh, Bill Loeb's, this, um, there's this issue in Flash, the nobody dies issue, which is kind of this one issue, very core to the character it represents. This issue you're just talking about in the in the Middle East with, with Wonder Woman trying to strive for peace and kind of how, you know, the, the impossibility of the task. This comic is one of those that stands alone. I mean, there's certainly mm -hmm. elements uh, throughout your run, but it stands on its own and it's a powerful moment for the character. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And um, I, I think your runs also influenced uh, a bunch of other runs since then. I, I think Brian Azzarello and Cliff Chang's run, uh, you right. know, is certainly influenced. I think a lot of the characters they created and, and new sort of villains are, are really uh, different riffs on uh, Kronos's children. Oh. Uh, mm -hmm. I think, uh, you see a lot of, uh, like devastation and characters like that in, in that run. Uh, what was it like creating this devastation, bringing in Kronos and uh, all that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, she, again, I, I went back to the first five issues ever, you know, and looked at what they were, what they were trying to do and all of her um, you know, either she's fighting Nazis or there's some pretty silly costume characters. Yeah, sure, and yeah. she, she, she never gets her Joker or her Lex Luthor. And so I tried to, with devastation, I was trying to come up with that. It was, it was, she, she has a parallel origin 
She has the gifts given to her by, you know, the, the dark gods in, instead of the, instead of the light gods. Um, and, uh, you know, she, she runs completely counter to everything that Wonder Woman's about. Um, so, um, anyway, that's, yeah, that's what I was trying to, that she was supposed to be the Joker to, to, uh, to Diana. Um, yeah, and she, I, I, you know, I, I mean, and that's what she was. One of the things I was looking at to see if she stuck after I left, and yeah, uh, yeah so she's still a character in some of the resource books and references. Yeah. So, yeah, no, she she was fantastic, and um, you, you know, you also brought in the uh, you know Hindu pantheon. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was interesting um, because I'm a big fan of Bollywood and of how the gods get involved in, in those movies in everyday life. And I thought, why not? Why? I mean, and they're equivalents to, to um, some of the Greek gods, you know, gods of good humor, gods of wine, you know, vengeful gods, all this stuff. It just seems so rich. And um, I did get a note on that, that be careful with this because there people are worshiping uh, this, these, gods uh, still and not still but continually since um and be careful that this isn't seen as sacrilege so i let it play out and you know uh research that as much as i could to, to try and yeah. pay respect to that and still make it fun and dynamic i don't remember yeah. any any outrage at that time i i don't remember yeah. getting upset um you know no Twitter probably helped a lot. Yeah. But, <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting too, cause they, they've recently introduced, uh, Yara floor. Who's, uh, this, uh, Brazilian, mm -hmm. uh, Amazonian, but, but kind of the way it rolled out, it felt like they were announcing, like, finally, there's a new pantheon of Brazilian gods that are mm. going to join. Like, finally they're expanding wonder woman's, uh, mythology. It was like, well, you did that. Like, a couple of decades ago yeah yeah it Just didn't it didn't make yes <laughs> it didn't make much of a splash but it was really fun to play with that with I mean, with huge concepts like that um you know cosmic concepts getting back to silver surfer and all that yeah yeah was there um you you enjoyed your time in both companies were there some fundamental differences between a, a company like dark horse company like dc that that really struck you um the you know mike richardson and randy stradley were right at the top of dark horse and they were dealing with me directly and so that was different um at dc i only ever dealt with paul and not up the chain of command um uh, but at both, I was off, you know, playing in my own uh, sandbox over here. There wasn't much, um, yeah, there weren't many notes or changes. It sounds like they, they left you to your own devices for, for all, you know, as long as you were telling us a, a powerful story that you were able to kind of do what you needed. Um, I meant to actually ask you, uh, Joe mentioned earlier, kind of this, this evolution of what you did with the, uh, the invisible jet and kind of the different uh, things around wonder woman. Was there a part of you that kind of, that were, it reminded you a little bit of, of, of kind of your work uh, doing screenplays and doing kid cartoons where you're introducing in theory, kind of more, more vehicles, more, more toys to play with. 
I remember I kind of looking back on that going, it, this feels like stuff that if you wanted to, you could put this in a cartoon, you could start selling merchandise and other things around it. Did, was it, was that at all part of the influence or that, that uh, cyber nine washed all of that stuff out of me. That was the biggest pain in the ass for, for <laughs> dealing with, you know, first of all, quality of, of, of the toy, like the toy designs came in on the vehicles for cyber nine and they were just, they were dumbed down and, you know, okay. uh, I mean, they had one of the, so I worked on cyber nine with two guys I met at ILM, um, Nilo Rodas and Phil Norwood. And Nilo Rodas is one of the big names in the original Star Wars uh, design field. Yeah. And here they had him right there. And he was, you know, sending them designs and they weren't looking at them. They went to their own toy designers. And oh, that's, uh, that's sad. Uh, it was frustrating. Yeah. Uh, and the toys did not sell well. They're, they're uh, you know, collector's items now. Ha <laughs> ha. In, yeah. in uh, bargain bins every once in a while. Uh, but yeah, I'd had enough of the toy market. I That was only, with Wonder Woman, it was only ever meant to be a, a big building. concept within the, yeah, world building, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, <clears throat> one of the few uh, older Wonder Woman villains you, you brought back was Dr. Poison. Dr. Poison. Uh, yeah. I, I think that w was that Dr. Poison's first appearance post-crisis or, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had to dig way, way, way back. I, I actually went back to the original, you know, 30s Dr. Poison. Yeah, um, yeah, that was the which, design uh, of the character. Yeah, uh, and then she's gone on since, but I always thought, hey, that's great. I brought her back, and then she was even in the movie. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, you know, I felt a little pride at that for bringing her. Oh, the other thing was in the second Wonder Woman, um, they brought back the um, Kingdom Come armor. Yeah. And uh, I had always, you know, I said, hey, can I use this in in regular continuity? They said, yeah, go for it. So I, you know, felt some responsibility for bringing that into the, uh, you know, not just in Kingdom Come, but also in mm -hmm. in, in the book. Yeah. And and even the, the designer, the costume designer said, Oh, I went back and read issues, blah, blah, which were issues that I had brought it in, uh, out in. So yeah, that was great. That's awesome. I, I'm, yeah. I, uh, it, when, when they were doing any of that, did anybody get in touch with you when they were doing these movies or, or, oh, that's a shame. I wish they would have tapped into some. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I've been out of there, you know, for a while and, uh, the, not as, I, you know, if anybody went back and was reading old issues for reference, so that's that's why I was happy that the armor was uh, yeah. preserved in there. Uh, what are what what uh, what kind of projects you're working on today? What uh, what do you have going on? So I'm continuing to write. The um, interference was such a great experience, and it you know it paid off well. So I'm working on the next one, and it's another concept that can only exist or that should be experienced as an audiobook. Oh, excellent! Right. Yeah. You know, you can you can create images with sound, and I think on interference there are two or three instances where I actually did bring in sound design and production just very subtly to, you know, to to, to illustrate something, um, and so I'm exploring that more. It's the right time. Uh, audiobooks are having a huge surge right now yeah. in the market, so uh, that's great to hear. Uh, I love what. Yeah. Would you go and do, are there any comics that you feel like uh, you, you just 
you have in you that you'd really love to to do still? Uh, so with Phil Norwood from ILM, the very first story I ever did was in Dark Horse Presents. Um, mm. We had a, uh, a sort of a science fiction action short piece, and I actually wrote all of the um, the uh, captions on uh, square white squares and placed them on the panel for the first time, so I could see how sentence fragments could interact with um, the action and lead your eye down the page. And you know, I wasn't just writing a script; I was actually interacting with the art as Phil had already created it and said, hey, I need some dialogue for this. And I wound up doing a lot more. I sort of, I discovered what you could do with internal monologue mm -hmm. because in films, it's really, um, you know, you look at the Blade Runner monologue that they thought would fix it in the first version of, uh, with Harrison yes. Ford's voiceover and it's horrible. Uh, the, the final version with no interior monologue is, is, is the best one. Um, oh, yeah. but in, in comic books, it, it works, um, because you are reading it, not hearing it. So they're not, it's not like spoon feeding. It's like you right. can get inside the character's head. And when I was not getting wonder woman, I thought, you know what, I'm going to write as much of this internal monologue as I can and try and find her voice. So it's a great tool as a writer too, to, to try and discover that. Nice. Very nice. I, I, I like, uh, I like that you push so hard to get to the core of the character. I, I do think there's this, uh, tendency at times to want to say, I need to introduce something new. I need to put my mark on. So I got to yep. take it in a new direction. I got to break something in order to yep. kind of stand out. Uh, whereas your approach as you're describing it is, uh, no, it's the opposite. Actually, I've got to get to the center of the character and, and kind of make my mark that way. And I, I, I think your run holds up really well as a result. Yeah. Thanks. It's, uh, you know, like with um, Watchmen, the core of that was these Charlton superheroes that they gave to Alan Moore and said, what what can you do with this? And he ripped them apart. He, he right. just, but he understood, he went right to the heart of each character and started to, you know, disassemble them from, but with a complete understanding of it. And you can't do that to Wonder Woman. You can't do that to Batman or Superman. You, but you have to understand what's driving them in, in every panel um, yeah. before you can write them. And then you can put your own spin on it, but you have to get it right before, before you earn that. Yeah. Speaking of your own, own spin on, on established uh, heroes, uh, you actually uh, contributed a little bit to the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, Turtle lore, I, I, I believe, in the uh, early yes, 2000s have. cartoon. Yeah, uh, they flew us back to the East Coast to meet with uh, Peter Laird and, uh, you know, spent a few days with him, uh, you know, looking at uh, just talking to him about what his idea was. He wanted with that particular startup to get much darker, which everybody remembering the the old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was just the adventure or how, you know, that they were. Well, it was all supposed to be uh, initially was a satire of the Frank Miller Daredevil. And it took off on its own so popular that it became its own thing. Um so once again, I was getting on board something that was completely established. And, you know, I'd get notes that, uh, you know, Raphael just wouldn't say this. 
Raphael just wouldn't do this. And I went, okay, I'm, I'm writing, you know, for your vision. So just tell me what to do. I, I, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm just, I'm very, I'm very impressed at the breadth of what you've done. I, I just, from the, the, the film work to the TV work, to the comics, to this book, I, it's a, it's a wide assortment of, of material. I mean, kind of in the kids space for, for cartoons, this kind of let's do something for kids, but break the kids model for gargoyles to kind of this, uh, this character who's, who's dead now for vengeance, uh, which is a terrible quick description, but a ghost. And then one point like, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But you go from from property to property. They're, they're very different arcs, and uh, the the common thread is is extremely strong characterization that you you brought to the table for with everything, and um, that's really really remarkable. Um, all of your work. Thanks. So I, I, I uh, yeah. no, I, I so such a but but all things considered, a relatively short span in comics. Uh, you, you, I, mean, I kind of I apologize if I'm probing, but is it? Is there there's a desire to go back and and do another three year run or arc on on anyone or it it was so okay so after the end of uh, Wonder Woman there was a period where I thought uh, let's you know I mean let's try to keep the ball rolling um, and I God there was for five seconds uh, there was uh, an agent involved and was reaching out and nothing ever really happened. And I, whatever, for, you know, whatever reason, the industry was not in good shape. Right. And I felt like I was spinning my wheels and I thought, I'm just going to push ahead where, you know, this is getting frustrating. So, yeah, if, yeah, if the time was right, but there's so much of your career as a creative person working in different fields has to be spent just pushing and pushing, you know, at least 50% of you is, is selling yourself to try to get the next job that. How I mean, it's always worked for me from Explorers on in that I write my own thing, I make it as good as I can, and then that gets enough attention so that I get more work from it. If I go out and, and knock on doors, that it's been the most was some of the most frustrating periods of my life. So yeah, but uh, you know, someone like you, there's probably a few publishers out there that um, if you had a creator own thing with, you know, your experience, if you had a pitch or something, we're like, hey, you know, uh, would you be interested? You know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if one or two uh, wanted to publish something from you. Hey, thanks. <laughs> I'll, uh, yeah. No, but uh, I mean, like, we hang up, I'll start, uh, I'll put that in the old. Yeah. yeah. It's, Thank it's, you. It is definitely, I mean, I, I think right now comics is, yeah, they, we are going through another transformation period kind of uh, at this moment. And and I think there is more interest and in, in people seeking to try and find really strong characterization and, and people who can really get to kind of a core of a character, something that can be kind of understood in a quick elevator pitch for why you want this comic and, and build something that way. And uh, and so I think it, it's you're, you're the right guy for the right moment. Um, you just got to get some properties. And I, I completely understand if you're off having to really pressure to get into the industry, that's that's going to take away a lot of that creative uh, uh, drive. But um, I, I'm hoping some some people reach out to you because I think you've got some stories to tell in there that would be, be incredible right now. Yeah. Thanks. It's, it's also so much... Um, so much of the movie industry uses comic books as a selling tool, like an right. easily understood visual. And so many of them have been successful movies. 
um, that I imagine that one sentence that you're talking about, the elevator pitch, yeah. um, is, is really, really different than the comic book in, in industry used to be. Oh, yeah. 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 And I think, yeah, we'll continue to kind of drift in that direction. Um, Eric, I want to be respectful of your time. You've given us a, more than an hour now, and I, I, I just want to uh, you know, thank you for, for talking to us and, and kind of yeah. walking us through some of these things you've done. Thank yes, you for right. reaching out. This has really been fun. Thank no you. Problem. This is great. I uh, yeah. we'll, we'll definitely uh, 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 you know work uh, keep very connected to the the material you're doing, and and when the new book is out, we'd love to hear from you and and make sure that people know it's out there and and kind of put a plug into that. I think some people are are definitely gonna uh, want to to get in and, and check out Interference if they haven't already. So you, you can get that on on Amazon, right? And uh, yes. Yeah. Well, it's self, it was, it was published on Amazon. And so the audiobook is on audible. It's audible. searchable. Yes. Yeah. Well, please go check that out. And if you haven't seen this either ghost or this wonder woman run, we've been talking about, uh, yeah. I would say, you know, go run out and buy the trade, but that, <laughs> but it's not there yet. I, I, I think it's on comiXology. Yes. Um, but you know, you have to work when there's no trade and, and find the numbers and, and go yeah. through that. So, um, but, but yeah, um, you, you might actually be able to just type in, you know, Eric Luke into Comixology, and that might be yeah. the best way to do it. You can get some yeah. if uh, if you haven't read uh, Wonder Woman. It's uh, I'll edit this if I'm wrong later. One forty two. This is this issue we we're talking about. And it's definitely one to to check out for Wonder Woman with this uh, Middle Eastern conflict, and it's uh, really to the core of the character in one issue. Uh, so I would definitely yeah. suggest uh, suggest that. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But Eric, thank you again very much for chatting with us, and uh, we hope to hear from you really soon. Yeah, thanks again. That was it was really fun. Thank you. Great. Thanks so much.